Tonight, we're in a series called Creatures of Habit. If you haven't been here, you can get online and kind of catch up with where we've been. But all we've been saying is this, is that all of us are creatures of habit, right? Uh, I actually read a study this last week, or two weeks ago, actually, that says this, 40% of what we do is habitual, is out of habit. Now, I don't know whether that's true or not, but it sure makes sense. You and I know some things tonight. You know this about yourself. You got some bad habits, right? You don't have to raise your hand or say what they are. All of us can say, yeah, I know what they are. Chances are you don't just have bad habits. Chances are you got some good habits. Some good habits that you know about that you intentionally do. And then you probably have some good habits you don't think a lot about, right? I mean, there are probably some habits that you do that you don't think a lot about because you've done them so much. And you know what else I know about most of us, if not all of us in the room, right? Just look here a second, and you can agree by shaking your head. Some of y'all got some weird habits. Just shake your head if you agree with that, right? Some of you poking your spouse, right? I know it to be true. In fact, I'm not so sure that some of our weird habits aren't hereditary. I grew up, my dad is with Jesus now. He went home to be with the Lord a couple years ago, and so I know he'll forgive me for using him as an example tonight. But I grew up watching my dad go through what I thought was a really, really weird habit. You see if you agree with me. Every night, I'd watch my dad. He'd come in after a long day work, whatever. He'd take his shoes off. That doesn't sound weird, does it? Then he'd take his socks off. That doesn't sound weird. But after my dad would take his socks off every night, I kid you not, my dad would smell his socks, right? Now, that's just weird, right? Anybody agree? Just raise your hand if you think that's weird, right? I remember as a kid, I thought, that is really weird really weird. Why in the world does he do that? Man, that is gross. That's weird. And then I became a dad. And I got three kids. The last or the youngest is 17 years old. And they have grown up watching their dad, that's me, every night take his shoes off. Every night I take my socks off. And I'm here to confess every night I smell my socks. I don't know why I do it. I just do it. Anybody else with me on that? Nobody. Okay, don't judge me. You got weird habits too, right? That's the deal. Last night, I was at my son's house. He's married, and they invited us over for dinner. And I just, I preached this message last week at the Norton campus, and so my daughter-in-law was there, and I just looked at her. Her name's Jessica, and I said, Jessica, she was like, yep, he takes his shoes off, he takes his socks off, and your son smells his socks too. I don't know. They're just hereditary habits. We all got weird habits. Here's the way we've been saying it. Think about it this way. The Bible says we reap what we sow, right? Okay, Tony kind of led us through that. And so our habits are like these seeds that we plant in the soil of our life. And over time, after we plant them regularly, consistently, they grow fruit. They grow fruit that's consistent with the seed that we've been planting. Uh, When I meet with people in my office, I like to say it this way. Think about it this way. The decisions or the choices or the habits you make today, think about this with me, determine your tomorrows. The decisions, the choices, or the habits of today determine your tomorrows. And so January is a great time of the year, right, for us to think about, i got some bad habits I want to get rid of, right? And some of you already thought about that. There's some things that are bearing bad fruit in my life. I need to get rid of these habits. Some of you are thinking about, man, there's some good habits I need to put into my life, right? And some of you thought about that. I need to go to the gym. I need to eat better. Whatever it is, I need to do. And we've been talking about some of those here during this series, Creatures of Habit. But I want to kind of turn it on you a little bit tonight. I want to ask you a question. Is it possible that we could be planting a very good habit in our life, yet doing it wrong? 
And because we're doing it wrong, it is discouraging, it's disillusioning, it's frustrating, it's futile, and even harmful. Let me say it again. Is it possible that we might be planting good habits in a wrong way and it produce fruit that is frustrating and disillusioning? I would suggest to you that it is. You know this. Let me give you an elementary example, then I want to go to a different place. But you already know this. Very elementary example of this would be two guys go to the same doctor, and let's say they weren't eating right, right? They weren't eating regular meals. And so the doctor says, you need to start the habit of eating three meals a day, three regular meals a day. Quit skipping meals. Those two guys could leave the same doctor and say, I'm going to start this good habit, right? I'm going to start eating three meals a day, and they might come back to that doctor six months later and have very different fruit in their life. Why? Because one guy might leave and say, I'm going to start eating three meals a day. I'm going to eat breakfast at McDonald's, lunch at Wendy's, and supper at Domino's, right? And it's going to produce fruit that he didn't want it to produce, right? It's a good habit. Great. I'm doing what the doctor said. I'm eating three meals a day, but I did it wrong, and therefore it produced something frustrating disillusioning, and even harmful, I want to talk to you about a habit most of you, you ready, ready, most of you are planting in your life. I know that. I'm almost as positive as I stand here of that. Most of you, maybe not all, most of you are planting, but I know that the habit is something that creates confusion, frustration, boredom, discouragement, and has even harmed some of you in this room. What's the habit? The habit is the habit of prayer. The habit of prayer. You know how I know that most of you are planting that habit in your life? Because studies and statistics say that 94%, 94%, that's a pretty good percentage, 94% of North Americans pray. 94% of us pray. Now, the same statistic and study says that 94% of us pray. Average amount of time we pray is about one minute a day, okay? But we pray, and we kind of know what prayer is. We'll throw a little definition up here a guy named Tim Keller uses for prayer. He says, prayer is a personal communicative response to the knowledge of God. Sounds really smart. Here's all it is. It's interacting with God. And so here's what we know about prayer. Stay with me on this. Prayer is an instinctive habit. I think of it this way, that because we've been created, it's hardwired in us to talk to our creator. And so it is a very instinctive habit that most of us, most of us are practicing. You know this to be true. Religious people pray, right? We know that. In fact, the three biggies, the three big religions, you know, Judaism, Islam, and Christianity, prayer is at the center of their core of beliefs, right? I mean, if you didn't know this, Jews, they pray three times a day. Muslims, five times a day. Christians have all kinds of ways in which they pray and are involved in prayer, right? Hindus pray. Buddhists pray. Religious people pray. We know that. But what is really interesting is, did you know this? Non-religious people pray too. The most interesting part of the same study was this. That 30%, that's interesting, 30%, just so you heard me, 30% of those who claim to be atheists say they pray. Like, I claim that there is no God, and yet they say they pray. The fact of the matter is, is that religious and non-religious people pray. 94% of North Americans pray. Yet, prayer is something, and I've talked to a lot of people, been a pastor for over 20 years, that creates confusion, frustration, boredom, discouragement, 
and even is harmful and affects the way some people look at God. It begs the question, why? And I think the reason why is all wrapped up in how we learn how to pray. Did you know how you learn how to pray? Most of us, maybe not all of us, most of us don't learn to pray from a book. Like I read a book about prayer, now I know how to pray, right? You know how we learn to pray? truth is we learn to pray by watching, observing, and listening to other people pray. Which I think is the very reason most of us get confused about prayer. Because if you've been around any length of time and have heard people pray, people pray in all kinds of different ways. Just shake your head like you know what I'm talking about. You know what I'm talking about? I've been around for a while and I've heard a lot of people pray and it's like, all right, that's confusing because there's all kinds of ways to pray. I remember as a little kid being very confused by this because there's people who do what I call routine praying. You know what I mean by that? They pray at the same time, the same prayer all the time. And so the way it works, I go to my friend's house and they're getting ready to eat and they had a prayer they prayed. I had not experienced this, but this is what they did. They said, God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. You've heard that prayer. You've been around routine praying, right? Or maybe my friends would go to bed and their, their parents would put in, now I lay me down to sleep. I pray the Lord my soul to keep. And if I die before I wake, you ever think about that? Like why your kids don't sleep at night, right? It's like, whoa, I pray the Lord my soul to take, right? Routine praying, same prayer. Then there's people who do this. You ever been around somebody like this? They do Hail Mary praying. You ever been around somebody like that? You know what I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. If you're a football fan, a Hail Mary prayer is what you pray when everything else fails. Man, i got to throw for the goal line, right? And so I've tried everything else. I might as well pray. When all else fails, pray. And so some of that's the way they pray. You ever been around somebody that does what I call grocery list praying? I mean, they got a notebook and they got 10,000 names in there. I don't know how people know that many people, right? But they're like praying for Sadie and Myrtle and Mabel and the people everywhere. And, like, and they just go, and they pray through their grocery list. It's, it's incredible. I've also met some people, this is confusing, they're like vending machine prayers. You ever been around somebody that prays kind of like a cosmic vending machine? And the, the way that works is you put your prayer in and you just pay enough faith and whatever you pray for, you're going to get, Right? And so if you don't get what you're praying for, maybe you need to put some more faith in and pray a little more. And so you press the button and bam, presto, God gives you what you're looking for. It's incredible, right? I've been around people like that. And then the most confusing thing to me, I don't know, I'm just being honest with you about this, is the way people sometimes pray in church. Because it feels like to me, people change the way they talk when they pray in church, right? You ever been around that? It's like they use a different tone of voice. They use big words. And like, oh, Father. And it's like, I mean, what in the world are they talking about? In fact, the most confusing thing to me as a kid was this. My dad would pray. And as he would pray, he'd be maybe standing in the front praying. In the worship band, there was a guy named Watson. I love that name, right? Watson. Name your kid that, right? But Watson would be back here. He was old, and here's what he would do. My dad would be praying, and Watson would start talking. Now, if you're a little kid, right? If you're a little kid, I'm like, whoa. Because I used to get in trouble for talking when someone else was talking, right? But Watson's up there like, hallelujah, praise God. He's like on and on. And I would peek, and I'm like, whoa. And it seemed like the more he talked, the better it was, you know? And I was confused as a kid, so I started talking out loud. That's right. Keep going. You know, I kept praying. I'd just talk when my dad would pray. Prayer can be confusing. Do you agree with me? And it can be something that can create a lot of frustration, a lot of futility. And in a lot of people's life, prayer is something that has actually harmed their relationship with God. 
You see, I would suggest to you this, and you don't have to, it sounds weird to say it, I know, but that it's possible to pray and to pray wrong, and because we pray wrong, it can be very frustrating, disillusioning, and even be more harmful than if we had never planted that habit in the first place. You don't have to agree with me, but I want you to write this down and think about it, okay? Write this down on your notes and just let it percolate. It is possible to pray wrong. It's possible to pray wrong. And so I might be planting that seed. I might be one of the 94% of North Americans that is planting that seed, but I just seem to be frustrated, bored, discouraged when it comes to prayer. So I'm suggesting to you that it's possible to pray wrong. You're saying, Dan, how do you know that? Well, I think that's what Jesus is talking about in the part of the Bible you have laying in your lap. In Matthew 6, if you don't feel comfortable reading from your Bible, just read with me from the screen. He says this, And when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites. Think church people, religious people, okay? Just think really, really religious people. Don't be like them. So what he's saying is when you pray, I assume you're going to pray. I assume 94% of North Americans are going to pray. When you do that, don't be like the hypocrites. Why? Well, they love to pray. They love to pray standing in the synagogues. They love to pray standing on the street corners. Why? To be seen by others. Truly, I tell you, they have received their reward in full. Now look here a second. The first thing he says is it's possible to pray and to pray wrong. How? Because I can pray to the wrong audience. That's what they were doing, right? Do you see that in there? They were praying, and they're praying to the wrong audience. They were praying, and the whole drive of their prayer was to impress other people. Do you see that in there? You ever been around somebody, or better yet, have you ever prayed that way to impress others? You're saying, Dan, how do you do that? I suggest you there's two ways that we pray to impress others. You ever think about this? One way is I pray, and I want others to be impressed with me. I don't know if you've ever prayed that way, been around somebody who prays that way, but you pray and you want people to be impressed with how you prayed. So they're like, wow, man, Dan, you're a good prayer. Like, Dan, you might be the kind of prayer that I want to pray at my wedding, right? Or something like that. Like, Dan, you must have a tight relationship with God. Dan, I really like the way that you put, Dan, you are good when it comes to praying, right? So you can pray and people are like really impressed with you. And so I want to pray to impress them. It makes me Think of a story I heard. Some of you know who Pastor Jeff Bogue is. He's the senior pastor, senior leader of Grace Church. He's telling this story, and it was interesting to me. He was at some sort of event. I don't know what kind of event it was. And this man stood up, and he stood up for five to seven minutes, and he talked about his wife. And he talked about how wonderful she was, how beautiful she was, how smart she was, how incredible. All this incredible stuff. For about five to seven minutes, he just went on and on and on about his wife. At the end, Pastor Jeff ran into this woman, and he was like, wow, I bet, I bet you love that. I bet you feel so cherished. I bet that was really cool for you to hear. And this is what she said. She said, I hate it when he does that. All right? Stay with me. We're okay. Yeah, that's good. Why don't you guys pray with me for a second? Father... I don't know what's going on, but you do. And uh, so, God, I'm just praying for, for my brother. I'm so glad that he's here and uh, whatever's happening, I pray, God, that you would just help him right now and help those that might be helping him. And, Father, thanks that we get a chance to talk to you about it. We love you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Dial back in with me for a second. Here we go. She said, I hate it 
makes me so angry when he does that. Jeff said, why in the world? It was confusing to Jeff. So why does it make you angry when he does that? Here's what she said. Listen, so key. Because he never talks to me or about me that way when we're alone. He only does it so other people will be impressed with him. Isn't that interesting? Isn't it possible sometimes we talk to God that way? You see, that's why, that's why I think Jesus says what he says. Listen, if that's the deal, why don't you find a private place to pray? Like, because God's the audience, right? But we don't just sometimes pray so that other people be impressed with us. Think about this. Sometimes we pray to impress something on others. You ever been around? I call this preaching through prayer. Anybody, come on, raise your hand. Anybody ever been around that? Anybody seen that, heard that? That's the kind of prayer your mama prays when you show up for supper and you ain't been to church for about four weeks, right? You ever been around mama when she prays this way? She's like, oh, dear Lord. Thank you so much for the privilege we have of regularly every week going to church. And she peeks at you, right? And I pray that she convict us and that she'd show us how cherished that opportunity is. And you pray. Why? Because you want to preach a sermon. Here's what Jesus is saying. Stay with me. He says, if that's how you pray, he says, stop praying. You're praying to the wrong audience. You're sowing a habit wrong in your life. It's a good habit. In fact, that's, he went on to say, he says, when you pray, go into your room, close the door, pray to your Father who is unseen, and then, next slide, then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. Here's what he says. If you're praying in public, wanting to impress people, he says, start praying in private, find a place no one knows about, and pray. Your audience is there. He's your Father. It's God, right? I love this about Jesus. He's equal opportunity. He doesn't stop there. He says, And when you pray, because I know you pray, 94% of you, don't keep on babbling, repeating, hollow, empty, repetitious, reciting like the pagans. Who's that? That's non-religious people, right? Not necessarily followers of Christ. And they keep reciting these same prayers over and over again. They think they'll be heard. Why? Because of their many words. Don't you be like them. Your father knows what you need before you ask him. Here's what he's saying. He's saying, when you pray, I don't want you to pray like the pagans either because they're praying and they see prayer as this religious activity that they need to keep doing because they need to get God's attention. And so if I keep repeating, 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 I might get God's attention. And so I got to say so many our fathers, so many Hail Mary, so many, whatever it might be, you fill in the blank. Whatever it might be, you fill in the blank, but i got to say it so that God will pay attention to me so that somehow I might earn God's favor. And what Jesus is teaching here is this. Don't pray. Stay with me on this. Don't pray to get God's attention, but pray because you have God's attention. That's interesting. You see, prayer isn't something I do and I have to keep repeating and repeating and repeating and repeating. Hope God pays attention to me. But prayer is something I do because God is paying attention to me. In fact, it's what makes Jesus say, if you're with me, verse 9, he says, this then is how you should pray. And what I find interesting about that, and I want you to write this down, is that you and I can learn to pray. I can learn to pray. And this is where I think a different picture of prayer might help us tonight. Some of you came in here, I want to give you a different picture of prayer that I hope will help you as you sow this habit in your life. Because most of us are sowing this habit. Most of us are doing this habit. We're like, man, I just can't get my head around it. And I think the picture that he gives us is very consistent. Because if prayer is talking to God, here's the picture, then the picture 
is this, that God is our, ready, Father, who's sitting at the head of the table, inviting us to take a seat at the table where we have the opportunity to prayer interact with God. You with me? Prayer is God at the head of the table where he's the Father, and he's saying, I want you to take a seat at this table, interact with me. That's prayer. He sees you. He loves you. He invites you to take a seat at his table. Begs a question. Don't we all have a seat at God's table? Aren't we all God's children? Isn't he all of our father? And this might be surprising, shocking to some of you. Might make some of you feel uncomfortable with the answer to that is no. You're saying, really? No. You're saying, where do you get that, Dan? Same guy that's teaching us tonight, his name's Jesus. In John 14, 6, says this, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. You see what he says? No man comes to the what? Father, but how? By me. Listen close, and then we're going to race forward. The only way for me to come to the table and recognize God is my Father is if I come with Jesus. Guys, that's the gospel. The only way for me to come and have a seat at that table, recognize God as my Father, is if I place my hand in the hand of Jesus, so to speak. The only way for me to recognize God as my Father is to embrace Jesus as my Savior. See, Jesus came, lived the life none of us in this room have lived. We, we know that, right? We get that. And then he died, that whole Easter story, because he died the death all of us deserve to die. And they buried him, he rose again. Why? So that if you and I would place our faith and trust in him, that we trust what he did for us, listen, we could be forgiven of our sins, we could have salvation, and we could have a seat at the table where our Father wants to interact with us, where our Father wants us to communicate with him. You see, prayer is me coming to the table and interacting with my Father. And the only way for me to come there is with Jesus. Now, Here's the deal. Jesus, Jesus says, I want to teach you how to pray. And so that's what he spends the rest of this passage on that we're looking at tonight. He says, this is how you pray. Look here a second. Some of you, look here. I know we had some excitement. Just look here. I don't want to lose you because I think what we're going to talk about is going to revolutionize the way some of you pray. You with me? Jesus says, here's how, here's how you can pray. Okay? He's not saying recite this prayer all the time. Some of us have it memorized like this. No, no, that's not what he's saying. He said, but there's some things that are worthwhile you taking note in how I'm going to teach you how to pray. And here's what you ought to write down. I got five questions as we look at the way Jesus prays that I think might revolutionize the way you pray and plant this habit in your life. Do you see how he starts? Jesus said, this then is how you pray. And he says, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. How's he starting? Here's how he's starting. He's saying, I want you to start by recognizing who the audience of prayer is. The audience of prayer is coming into prayer and realizing I'm talking to God who sits on a throne. I'm talking to the creator of all that I see. I'm talking to a God who sees eternity past into eternity future. I'm talking to a God for whom nothing is impossible. And you know what? This is crazy. It's mind-blowing. It's hard to wrap our head around. But that God who created all that we see for whom nothing is impossible, who sits on that throne, sees eternity past to eternity future, says, I 
I want you to come to my table and you can call me daddy. Whoa. Here's what it makes me think of. I, I personally think it's hard for us to get our heads totally around that. It, it makes me wonder to myself what it would be like to be Malia and Sasha. Anybody know who I'm talking about? Raise your hand if you know just by their names who I'm talking about. Malia and Sasha. Let me tell you who Malia and Sasha are. Their last names happen to be Obama. You ever wonder what it's like to be the teenage daughters of President Barack Obama? It just so happens that their dad happens to be the man who lives on Pennsylvania Avenue behind that big fence in that big white house and sits in arguably the most powerful seat on our globe right now. And they call him daddy. We call him president. It just so happens the man the Secret Service protects and keeps uh, the public away from, they run to him, wrap their arms around him and say, Father, Mind-blowing to me. In fact, I got to think to myself that if you were the daughter of the president, the younger you were, the more you would focus on the intimacy. I love my daddy. And the older you got, the more you would be wowed and awed by who your daddy happened to be. My daddy, the, kid I, the guy I played kickball with, happened to be the president of the United States. Fascinating. Listen, Jesus says when you pray, you're talking to your father who happens to be that God sitting on that throne in heaven. Here's the question. When I pray, i got to ask myself, am I experiencing awe and intimacy in my relationship with God? Am I somehow recognizing who I'm talking about such that I feel, experience, know the awe of His greatness and the intimacy of relationship? In fact, another way to put it is this. When I pray, I want to be warmed by His grace and wowed by His greatness. Warmed by his grace and wowed by his greatness. Some of y'all look old enough to remember President John F. Kennedy. Raise your hand if you know who I'm talking about, right? Okay. Do you remember the pictures of him in the Oval Office sitting at his desk? I think we might have that picture. I'm not sure. I hope you can see it. But there was a little door underneath of his desk where his kids were allowed to run in and out. And that's his child under there. What a picture. What a picture. There his kid sits underneath of the desk of arguably one of the most powerful men on the globe. And that kid calls him daddy. Here's what prayer is. I want you to think of it this way. It's intimacy with the Almighty. You and I, when we pray, we are kids of the King. Truth is, we can err or have trouble on one side or the other, can't we? Some of us in this room are like, yeah, I'm all about the intimacy, but we kind of lose it on the awe, right? Like when we talk to God, we're like, what's up, homeboy? My heavenly homeboy, right? You know, it's like the big guy upstairs. And so we get all flippant. And here's what happens. When we have intimacy, no awe, we come into his presence arrogantly and with flippancy. It makes me think of my kids, okay? I'm using them as an example, but uh, I used this at the Norton campus uh, several years ago. But my oldest, his name is Joel, he went through a stage when he was younger where he was calling everybody dude. And one day he came home from school and he and I have a great relationship, but he popped in the door and he's like, hey, dude, you know? Now, if you're a dad, I remember thinking, all right, we got a situation here, right? And I remember what I said to him, and I want you to remember this. I said, listen, buddy. I'm your dad. 
I'm not your dude. I want to make sure we don't get on the wrong foot, in the wrong posture. You see, God is God, and He's our Father. He's not our heavenly dude. It's all about intimacy, but if I lose the awe, I get flippancy. But the opposite is true, and some of us are struggling with that tonight. We have awe. We, like, learn that God is great, God is powerful, and so we talk to Him in this King James voice, like, oh, la, 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 and we have no intimacy, and it produces this coldness, this distance. It would be just as weird for me as a dad if my son, Joel, came home and sat around the table and said, Oh, great Father, who provided all that I haveth, you know. I'd be like, what are you drinking or smoking or what is going on, right? I don't even know you, right? I mean, that'd be weird. And so here's the deal. I want you to remember this. Respect with no relationship cultivates distance and coldness. Ritual and routine. That's the way some of us are experiencing God tonight. Like, oh, and we don't understand. Here's what I think Jesus is saying. I want all and intimacy to come together. When I come into the presence of God and pray, I want you, listen close to what I'm going to say, sit there long enough until it runs you over who you're talking to. You're saying, Dan, how, how do we do that? Well, easy illustration, easy application. It will never happen. You ready? It will never happen in one minute a day. I mean, I'm not being a smart aleck, and I'm, not, I'm just saying, I got to sit there long enough for this to run me over. Psalm 46 says, be still and know that I'm God. For some of you, the easiest way to begin applying what we're going to talk about tonight is to simply say, I'm going to carve out some time where I can sit still and, and really, really recognize who I'm talking to. My Father who's in heaven blows me away. I need to wrap my head around that. What's interesting is where he goes next. you see it? He says this, if you're following in your Bibles, it's verse 10. He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. It's interesting to me that he starts with your kingdom, your will, not my needs and my wants, right? And here's what he says. I want you to realize, stay with me on this imagery, that the father that sits at the head of the table when you pray, he's a king. He has a will. And he's expressed that will in his word. I believe what I'm going to say next may revolutionize some, some of the way some of you guys pray. I know it has me. Prayer is the, listen, prayer is the continuation of a conversation that God started. He started the conversation. It'll change the way you pray when you realize this. In fact, I want you to write this question down. When I pray, I want to ask myself, am I answering God or am I just expressing myself to God? Am I answering God or am I just expressing myself to God? I don't know about you, but here's the way I pray a lot of times. I come to the table of prayer, and I got a lot to say. And I'm like, God, and I'm talking, talking, talking. It's usually about my will and my kingdom, right? Anybody tracking with me? That's usually what I'm talking about. And I think all Jesus wants us to see is this, and I want you to grab this tonight, is that prayer is not first and foremost me expressing all my feelings to God. That's part of it, but that's not what it is first and foremost. But prayer first and foremost is me answering God is listening to God. I've been a pastor for over 20 years, and I get asked this all the time. Does God hear prayer? Does God answer prayer? A good question, legitimate question. And I would say yes and yes to that question. But I wonder if God has a more important question for us when it comes to prayer. I wonder if God's question is, do they hear me? And are they answering me in their prayer? 
You see, the reason some of us tonight okay, are disillusioned with prayer, frustrated, or it's confusing to us, or we become disillusioned with God, is because we approach prayer like a cosmic vending machine. And so when we come to prayer, we put our prayer out there, we put the faith in, we hit the button, and there's nothing worse than putting your money in a vending machine, hitting the Coke button, and getting root beer, is there, right? It's for, what do you do when that happens? Well, maybe I've got to put more money in. You put more money in, and you still don't get what you want. And what ends up happening when you don't get what you want, you end up kicking the machine, walking away, right? The stupid machine, right? It's broke. And that's the way, now listen, that's the way some of us see God. I've been putting my prayer in, I've been faith, I've been trusting, I did, and he's not, and he's not, and I'm done, right? And I think all Jesus is saying, listen, you have the wrong picture of prayer. Prayer is coming to a table where God sits as the Father. It makes me think of my youngest son, his name's Aaron. When he was in elementary school, almost every night at supper table, he'd ask me the same question, almost every night. He and I were talking about this the other night, he's 17 now. And he said, yeah, Dad, I asked that every night. We'd pray for the meal, and then he, this is what he'd say to me. He'd say, Dad, what are we doing tonight? Every night. Dad, what are we going to do tonight? What was he doing? He's like, Dad, what's the plan? Because I want to arrange and reorient the way I'm going to plan my schedule tonight. Because if we're going for a hike, I want to come where you're going. If we're going to Dairy Queen, I'm in, right? If we're going to go do some football in the backyard, I want to reorient my world, as little as it might be, around whatever you're doing. Imagine if we came to God that way. Instead of saying, mine, 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 here's, here's, here's. If we said, God, I want to start by saying, what are you doing today? What are you up to? Because I want to be a part of that. Because I want to reorient my entire life around that. You're saying, how do I do that? Well, I can't do that unless I'm somehow listening to God. Part of praying is listening to God. You've already talked about the habit of spending time in God's Word and start somewhere. The book of John, the book of Psalms, the book of James. Start with the reading plan, whatever it might be. But imagine starting your time talking to God, pulling up to the table and say, I want to hear my Father, my King's will. What is it? And I want to answer that. And then once I reorient, do you see what he says? Now give us today, what? Our daily bread. It's like, pull a chair up to the table. It's this cry of dependence. It's this declaration of gratitude. I think about my kids. Some of you, I'm looking around, you have kids. And, and here's the deal with my kids. They keep coming to my table, right? I mean, do you ever notice that about kids? They keep showing up, right? They show up. And you know something? I know this about my kids. I don't know about your kids. But they showed up yesterday. They showed up tonight. They coming back tomorrow, I'm pretty sure. You know what? You come to our table. They know they're going to get some food. And, you know, this is the funny thing. We don't charge them a dime, although it's not a bad idea. We don't charge them a dime for their food. They don't have to earn their food. They don't have to be good to eat. You know why they come to our table? You know why they sit at the table where I'm the father? You know why? Because they're my kids. Because they're my kids. And they come because yesterday they received a meal, and it's exactly what they needed. And they knew they was going to get exactly what they needed today. And you know why they're going to come back tomorrow? Because they're pretty sure they're going to get what they need tomorrow. You see, when I every day come to the table, every day, do you hear me? Every day come to the table, I have to ask myself, do I acknowledge that I need God every day? 
do I acknowledge when I come to the table of prayer, God, I need you, because when I come to the table that way, there's some buzzwords you ought to write down under that. The first thing I'm doing is I'm coming with thankfulness and contentment. When I come every day, I'm like saying to God, I realize that everything I have has passed through your hands. But I'm not just coming with thankfulness and contentment. You with me? I'm coming with dependence. I'm sitting there because I know everything I need, I need you to give me. I'm dependent. But here's the kicker. When I come, I'm coming trusting that he's going to give me what I need. Listen, this is going to hurt. It's going to owie, even if it's not what I want. I'm trusting he's going to give me what I need, even if it's, if it was up to my kids, we'd have pizza every night, right? Every night, that's what we'd have had. But my wife gave them what they needed. We had fruits, we had vegetables, we had other healthy things. You see, I come to God and I'm saying, give me what I need today. Give me what I need. Even if I don't recognize it, I want you to give me what I need. I'm dependent, I'm thankful, I'm content, and I trust you. You're a good father. Then he goes somewhere interesting, and this really gets intimate. You see what he says next? He says, forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. He says, Father, you with me on the picture? Father, would you forgive me where I've sinned? Here's the question, and then I want to help make sense of it. The question is, do I admit that I need God's forgiveness? Yeah, that sounds real churchy. I think the picture might help. There are days where my kids might have a bad day, right? Anybody have kids like that where your kids are disobedient, ornery, kind of get out of joint? Raise your hand nice and high. Let me make sure I'm not alone, all right? Yeah. If you didn't raise your hand, man, you're, you're not watching. And sometimes my wife will let me in on it, and we'll sit at the dinner table, right? And so I know my kid has been kind of ornery, disrespectful, whatever it might be. And so I'll do something like this. How was your day? Good? Anything you want to talk about? Nope. Anything happened today? Not really. What's going on? I'm the father. Stay with me on this. And I want them to come into agreement with what I already know. Listen, every time you come to the table in prayer, you sit with a father, God, and he already knows everything that you may be trying to cover tonight. He already knows. He knows the stuff no one else knows. He knows the stuff you pray to God no one finds out about tonight. God knows. He knows the habits. He knows the attitudes that you're harboring. He knows the things you're thinking. He knows the relationships you're cultivating. He knows whatever it is. And when you pull a chair up to that table, here's what I need you to hear me say. You cannot, will not, dare not think you will ever be able to pull the wool over your father. He knows. And you know what? He wants you to come into agreement with what he already knows. Here's what he knows. He knows what you're trying to cover tonight. And he knows what you're not even aware of tonight. He already knows. And he wants you to come into agreement. That's what confession is. Did you know something? When you confess your sin, you never inform God of anything. You never inform God of anything. You simply come into agreement with what he already knows. And you repent, turn from it. Why do you repent? Because... If you don't repent, chances are you will repeat. So you come into agreement with God, you repent, right? And our Father looks at us when we come into agreement with Him and repent and says, You did what? 
It's not what he does. You know what he does? He's waiting for you to come into agreement with him about what he already knows. And he's got a cloak of kindness and forgiveness and grace and mercy that he wants to wrap around you as his child. And why does he say, I want you to forgive as we've forgiven? Because the more I come and am wrapped with his kindness, his forgiveness, his mercy, and his grace, the more likely I am to wrap that kindness, grace, and mercy, and forgiveness around others. It's hard for me to kick my brothers and sisters under the table when I'm asking my father for mercy and forgiveness, isn't it? It's interesting how Jesus teaches us to pray. Then he ends in the most confusing way. Do you see it? He says this, and then we'll be done. He says, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. It's interesting. Some of you have read your Bible enough, and you're like, that's weird. Doesn't the Bible say somewhere that God doesn't tempt anyone? And you'd be right. James is where it says that. Then why would we pray, God, don't lead us into temptation? Which is a great question, and I think the answer is found in that word temptation. In fact, if you write in your Bibles, you ought to bracket it because it is very pregnant with meaning. It means multiple things. It means a temptation or trap, but it also, you with me, can mean a trial or a test. It can mean a temptation or a trap or a trial or a test. Here's what's interesting. Jesus said when he walked the earth, you will face times of trial and testing. Can I get an amen? Anybody in here ever face a trial? Anybody in here ever been tested? They come at different times in varying degrees and different ways. They catch you by surprise. He said, I don't want you to be surprised. So why do I pray this way? Here's why. Because when that time of testing comes, I'm praying, Father, I want this time of testing to train me. I don't want Satan to trap me in that time of testing. It's saying, Father, I want this trial to develop me. I don't want Satan to devour me, the evil one, through this trial and temptation. That's what I'm saying. The fact of the matter is, when we pray this way, it changes the way we pray. I'd love for you to write this question down. Am I asking God to change me, or am I asking him simply to change my circumstances? A lot of my prayer time can be like, God, take away everything that's uncomfortable all the inconvenient circumstances, and it's not bad to pray that God changes circumstances, right? That's not a bad way to pray. But the more I come to his table, the more I want what he wants. And what God wants more than anything is your heart. What he wants more than anything is a faith that is like refined by fire. What he wants is your love. And sometimes the pain that's in my life is the very pressure that he uses to produce something that never could be produced in any other way changes the way I pray. God, I want what you want more than anything. We have a gal at the Norton campus, and this is what I'll close with. Just got diagnosed with stage four cancer, and she sent me a long email. She said, Pastor Dan, would you pray for me? And here's how I want you to pray. This so challenged me, guys. It's so challenged my heart. She said, I pray that I will not waste this cancer by focusing on me but that I'll use it as an effective witness to share with others that no matter what adversity they or myself are going through, we're not alone, and that our primary focus is the Lord, and we can walk perilous paths without being afraid. Wow. 
You see, Jesus teaches us to pray. And most of us might be sowing or planting that habit in our life. And maybe we're disenfranchised, discouraged, futile, and frustrated. And so as the band comes out, I'd like you not to put your stuff away quite yet. As the band sets up, can I ask you a couple questions? First is this. Have you ever grabbed Jesus' hand as your Savior and walked with him to the table? I'm not asking if you have gone to church. I'm not even asking if you pray. I'm saying, have you ever grabbed Jesus' hand and said, you are the only one who can save me. I believe you died for me. And I want to walk with you as the one who can forgive me, guarantee me salvation, and a seat at the table where God is my Father. If not, why not? Why not tonight? It's the first prayer God hears as your Father. If you just cry out and say, I know I'm a sinner. And I believe Jesus died in my place. That he was buried, that he rose again. And I want to sit at a table where I am his child. Jesus is my Savior. Listen, guys, this is the most incredible, important decision you ever make in your life. You can make that decision tonight. You can talk to one of us with a name tag on. Come and see me. Put it on your Connect card, whatever it is. I beg of you to think about whether or not you ever placed your hand in the hand of Jesus and walked to the table where God is Father. Some of you are like, I've done that. Can I ask you a question? Do you sit still long enough to experience the awe and the intimacy of who it is you're talking to? That literally you sit with God in heaven on his throne and he's your daddy. Some of you are like, no, man, that's not my experience. Then why not tomorrow? Don't wait next week. Don't wait until you develop some other plan. Why not tomorrow say, I'm going to start sitting still long enough where I can begin thinking and experiencing and understanding that I'm talking to the God who spoke and it was. And he says, you can come to my table and call me daddy. It's incredible. You listening to God or you just venting? Nothing wrong with venting, but you take time to hear what he has to say. Do you ever come to the table and say, what are you doing tonight, God? Because I want to be a part of that. I want to reorient whatever I had planned, and I want to be a part of that. And you say, how do I do that? Well, maybe tomorrow you start what Pastor Adam talked about a couple weeks ago. And you say, I'm going to start reading the Psalms. I'm going to start reading the book of James. I'm going to read John, whatever. I'm going to read a chapter a day because I want to know what my daddy, my king is up to because I want to be a part of that. I want to reorient what I'm doing. I'm going to ask you this. You every day come. Every day come. You're like, Dan, really? Every day come acknowledge your need. Can I get a little more personal? Do you know your father already knows what you're covering tonight? He already knows. You can't fool him. He knows. He knows the, the, the attitude, he knows the relationship, he knows the stuff you're involved in. He knows you can't pull the wool over his eyes. And some of you are scared to death. What if he finds out? He already knows. And he is desperately pleading and wanting you to come into agreement with what he already knows. He's not waiting to hammer you either. You know what he's waiting to do? He wants to wrap you with a cloak of kindness and forgiveness and grace and mercy. What an incredible way to pray. The more I pray that way, the more I come into agreement with what my Father already knows, the more I extend it to others. And He begins to change me.